Hey folks, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is episode 354, and uh, our thanks to the great Ed Coleman for coming on last week. Uh, a lot of great feedback from that. Love that the uh, the Mets people love that that podcast, and uh, you can find that in the iTunes feed as always. Uh, we're gonna shift gears, and you know, every six weeks to two months, I try to do a sports business uh, podcast. I try to do something on sports business. We try to also do stuff on sports media. This is more the business side of, of all of it. Um, we have some good uh, media podcasts planned in the future. And for that, we are welcoming uh, a new friend to the, to the fold. Uh, Dan Kaplan is a senior writer at The Athletic, covers sports business, and he is kind enough to join us here on Sports with Friends. Dan, thanks so much for doing this. Welcome to the podcast space. How, mm. how fluent are you in podcasting? Uh, not that, not not uh, that fluent. Uh, I realize it's a very affluent uh, sector podcasting, but I'm not too. I I'm still uh, slave to the digital word. Yes, there you go. Um, the athletic fascinates me. Um, they have so many top flight reporters. I mean, so many of my friends when the athletic formed, they jumped ship. They went right to the athletic. Do not pass go, and they seem to be very happy. Now, I don't count other people's money, but do they have this great subscriber base that was sustaining so much that when The Athletic was sold, it was in such great straits? It, it just seemed like for the amount, it, it was really reasonable. <laughs> and, and, and you guys have some really great journalists. It's a backhanded compliment, but what's the viability of The Athletic? Well, uh, it's certainly very strong given we're owned by the New York Times now um, and they, they're plowing resources into it. There have been no layoffs uh, that at least I'm aware of uh, since uh, we were acquired and the Times has said very clearly that's not their, not their plan. Their plan is to, to grow it. We have over a million subscribers. We were quicker to a million subscribers than the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and they had, um, of course, a hundred years or odd of a head start in terms of publishing on us. So, uh, I mean, look, there is there a, a micromedia industry out there looking to bash the athletic for some reason. Um, I, I never understood it. They would report we we're losing tons of money. Some of the reports were true, but you had to look at it in context to, in terms of where we were in the life cycle of the, the, the company and you know whether we could instantly turn a profit if we cut back a little. So there was, it's interesting working here on the inside. It looks a lot, it looked a lot different than some of the gloom and doom reports that were out there. You came from the sports business journal. Yeah. Um, now when you got to sports business journal, there was still a print aspect to it. Now this I, is entirely I, I helped, web. I helped start sports business journal in 1998. Um, oh. I was there before it even, I was there for a month before the first print issue came out. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the concept of a digital subscription, a digital publication, that was that was foreign to us. I mean, we were, I mean, for the first 12, 13 years of Sports Business Journal, everything revolved around the weekly deadline and the weekly magazine. So um, it's it, the concept of the something like The Athletic, when I started at SBJ, as we called it informally, would, would have been very foreign. My, my memories of SBJ were in the early 2000s. Um, someone, I was working for uh, Major League Baseball. I was in the commissioner's office. 
and there was issues, you know, on the in the in the in the lobby in the newsroom that we had. And I always wanted to put SBJ guys on MLB radio because I'm fascinated with sports business and not Bud, but, you know, Bud's minions uh, gave us a, a, a quick kibosh because anytime you talk sports business on an MLB show, it turned into talk about owners. <laughs> it was like that was the one thing you wanted us to stay away from. Um, that's the freedom of podcasting. We can talk about anything we damn well, please. Um, I had a couple of uh, sports media, uh, sports media. I had a couple of sports business topics um, and I wanted to see if you can, you can share some insight um, and, and, and you've already agreed to come on. So I, I assume that you're willing to do so. I will um, try. We'll try. Let's start with streaming. Um, as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, uh, I am a, a, a happy, proud, uh, flag waving cord cutter. I was a, a massive uh, cord cutter in the beginning. Uh, I got rid of DirecTV, celebrated it, publicized it on social media. I was I was thrilled. Um, and now, you know, between Apple TV and 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 all the different apps, uh, I probably pay maybe maybe half of what I was paying for DirecTV. Uh, it, it, it's it's fascinating to, to me, um, but. In doing a tech podcast, I do this podcast called TechStream, and in studying tech the way I have, I just wonder about all these apps, most specifically the Nessun uh, app. Nessun recently announced they're launching Nessun 360. It's uh, $29.99 a month, uh, $329.99 a year if you decide to do it annually and you get access to the Boston Bruins and the Boston Red Sox, and there are no blackouts. So you could literally be across the street from Fenway park and you can see the, uh, you know, the Red Sox game um, right now, if you had MLB.tv and you lived in Boston, you couldn't see the Red Sox, which I always thought was ridiculous. Um, what from your analysis and your reporting have you been able to ascertain on why is Nesson first, by the way, and is this the model that all regional sports networks want to follow? Is this, is this where Bally sports is headed? Is this where um, uh, MSG is headed? Is this where it's all going? Well, Bally sports, which is owned by Sinclair has been very upfront that they're trying to launch a uh, direct to consumer product. And they have four or five markets that, uh, they plan to do so imminently. Uh, in fact, I'm surprised that uh, we haven't heard about the first one yet. They've been they've been talking to, on their earnings calls about it. That we've written a lot about it at the Athletic. Others have written a lot about it at the Athletic. And the Nesson one sort of popped up on you know on on unannounced. Uh, I mean, they announced it, but it wasn't it wasn't kind something of caught that everybody off guard. Caught caught everyone off guard. Um, the look these things are not going to make money uh, from day one. You look at, I mean, you, you look at Disney plus Apple plus they're losing tons of money. I mean, that's one of the dirty secrets is the traditional cable system makes even still today makes money hand over fist and the stream, the, the plus services uh, lose a lot of money. Now that, that could invert over the years as more and more people cut the cord and more and more people you know, do, do what you do. But right now, the the streaming services are it's a loss leader it's a way to get to put a down payment on the future so 
what you what you point out about the the VPN issue, um, it's no different really than Netflix worrying about password sharing. Uh, there there are going to be people there are going to be people who cheat the system, but that that doesn't mean you don't offer the product in the first place. Okay, um, what I what I was looking at. Um, from a from a from a financial standpoint, you know, to me, it, it's it's you're you're spending three hundred and twenty dollars a year for the Red Sox and the Bruins, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just use those as a, as the example. Um, if you bought a VPN, and I I I, I figured out the cost of of the VPN, um, it's basically for two years one hundred and fourteen dollars. So if you divide that in half, it's, you know, 70 something dollars. And basically if you have that and ESPN plus is a four a month and MLB.tv is 114 for a season. Well, you add all those together, it's about 250 bucks. And they're all like, nothing is a secret. This is the thing that I'm fascinated with. You know, you say it's cheating the system. To me, cheating the system is BitTorrents. Like cheating the system is 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 buying a bootleg of a of a of a rock album or or you know snagging a a, a bootleg in a Lower Manhattan of a movie. You know, if I wanted to see Top Gun because some you know fool sat in the back of a theater and filmed it on his cell phone and put it out there, that to me is 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 cheating the system. These things are all above board. If I Google what's the best VPN, they say the Nord VPN is the best VPN. Now, mm-hmm. the Nord's not a sponsor, so I'm not endorsing it. But I'm, this is not like I have a secret. This is the, the point of where I'm getting at. This is not secret stuff. And so what's the viability? And I, I'm asking this more rhetorical. What's the viability of these RSNs in the first place? with the existence of these national services, meaning MLB.tv or ESPN plus for hockey. Because if I, you know, uh, all right, here, here, here's where I'll, 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 I'll divulge a little bit of information. A bunch of years ago when I worked for baseball, I traded my MLB.tv password with my mother-in-law and she gave us one of her cable passwords. And that's how I see the New Jersey devils. I'm a Devils fan, right? I'm a, I'm a big Devils fan. And I, unfortunately, MSG has the worst app. I've said this on the podcast before. They have the worst app going. It's, it's the, the interface is garbage. And, but that's the only way I can see the Devils until I found out about this VPN. Because now what I can do is I can activate the Nord VPN on my computer which I've done, uh, I'll tell you exactly how, why I did it. I got the Nord VPN because I cover Formula E, Formula E, the, the racing circuit mm. and CBS Sports Network. I'm going off on a tangent here, but CBS Sports Network decided that the world feed is no good for their American audience. So they put these two American announcers on CBS and they're awful. They're, 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 they don't know what Formula E is. They're just, they're awful. Jack Nichols, who's been on this podcast, Dario Franchitti, who's been on this podcast, they're fantastic. And so what I'd learned to do is tell my computer to pretend it's in the UK, watch it on YouTube live, and voila, I saw the race. But now that I have that, I can go on ESPN Plus and watch every Devils game. 
So I never need to have MSG announce what Nesson an announced. And I'm not that smart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. And so I don't understand how this is viable for any of these RSNs. And if people are cutting the cord left and right, and these RSNs aren't getting seen by them, how is that business model going to survive? How is local television ratings going to thrive? Well, you run a tech podcast, so I know you think it's easy, but I think to a lot of people, it's uh, it's not it's, it's not as simple as you as you, as you lay out. Um, look, right. they're, they're, and I I don't know the legality of of using a VPN to you know to you know to, to tell the Nesson server you don't actually live in the Boston metro area, um, but whatever whatever that case may be there i'm sure there's a, a lot of people out there that will subscribe to the nesson stream because it allows them to cut their cable cord and still see the boston red sox games i mean that's the that's the whole concept here is right. now the i think the larger question is when if they get a lot of subscribers to in this nesson plus or 360 as they call it what happens the next time nesson goes for the the cable cable distribution talks and the cable right. distributor says you're 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 cannibalizing our audience. Uh, and that that's that's a big trade-off that the the two parties have to have to negotiate. And uh, a lot of these RSN contracts with the cable distributors don't have carve-outs to allow allow the 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 teams and the regional sports channels to do this. Uh, that's one of the things that's been holding up the Valley Sports is they've been laboriously going through all their cable deals, waiting for them to expire or to renegotiate and negotiate this carve out in there and the economic balancing act. That's a tricky thing. It's interesting. I, you know, I remember when the Seattle Kraken uh, formed, you know, they formed that this was their first season. And I was disappointed when they announced their deal with, I, I think it's Bally. Um, they just did a regular RSN deal. Like they just did, did what everybody else did. And I said, you're a new team. Like you don't have the, the legacy of these, uh, these RSNs. So you could, in essence, create a direct to consumer deal and just have it be that, you know, like, like that's the way you have to have the Kraken and you can do it with a cable service, but you don't have to. And, you know, it, they would have to do it in, in house. What I'm applauding Nesson for doing is, they're taking initiative uh, on something, you know, I heard on a podcast because I, I listened to other podcasts, this suggestion, and I wanted to get your thought is, you know, one of the neat things about uh, not having cable is you can drop services very easily. Right. Right. They're, they're very easily like I watched billions and when billions ended, I can drop showtime. I don't, you know, I don't need Showtime because there's nothing else I'm seeing and that's nothing against Showtime. And if something comes on Showtime that I want to see, I can always re up, you know, and I can, I can do that. The Red Sox are struggling just as an example, the Red Sox would, would a, would a, would a cost prohibit, you know, we're, we're living in this time, right? Where inflation is what it is, you know, gas prices are absurd right now. And, you know, we're not doing a podcast on why those things are, but if you're looking on where to save money, if the Red Sox are a bad baseball team, does that hurt people's desire to go for this Nesson 360 deal? Whereas if they have cable, 
They're not calling their cable company and saying, I'd like Nesson off my servers. You see the it's, difference? Of course, it's uh, any of these streaming services, Netflix, I and mean, we saw Netflix lose subscribers for the first time in I think a decade. Uh, it, it, it's one of the simple things to do, which is to cancel a streaming streaming app. Uh, so it's it's. I said earlier on this podcast that d- despite all the the sex and glamour around streaming, it, it's, it's largely a loss leader. And the the creaky old archaic regional sports channels and cable system that's still a, that's still a money maker, a huge money maker. Disney reported earnings out. Uh, I think it was last month or the month before. And you know they made money hand over fist, and the in, in, with ESPN and with with their with ABC and the traditional media, Disney Plus lost. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars in just a quarter. This episode of Sports with Friends is sponsored by King Kong Bags. Need the perfect companion for your fitness journey? A seriously tough training partner that's guaranteed to keep you on your game. Oh, how well you know me. It'll hold all your workout gear for you. Meet King Kong Bags, tougher than Kong himself. You can drag these bags around, pack them to the max, take them on the toughest of adventures. All King Kong Bags are decked out with more pockets and compartments than you will ever need. There's shoe compartments, laptop sleeves, multiple bottle pockets, wet zones for your towel, pockets for your gym accessories, meal prep storage, and even a unique weightlifting belt attachment. Are you kidding me? Serious training needs a serious gym bag. Take the quiz. Let the pros match you with your perfect gym bag. You'll also score $10 off. Just head to knkg.com slash sportswithfriends. Not convinced? Buy it, pack it, take it to the gym, get chalk all over it. If it doesn't live up to the hype of being the number one gym bag of over 80,000 fitness freaks worldwide, you can return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Make sure you use knkg.com slash sportswithfriends. I've heard of that podcast. For our exclusive $10 off discount. King Kong Bags. Now back to the show. Um, one of the things that I noticed, Dan, that you uh, write about a lot are valuations. You did a piece mm-hmm. on the Broncos sale, and that that's a that's an interesting thing. I mean, I could ask you to to, to speculate and prognosticate who's going to own the team, but well, it's going to uh, become a division of Walmart, right? <laughs> that's a joke about Rob Walton, likely uh, oh, getting the, the team. Chris, Rob Walton, who's a former chairman of Walmart, his his son-in-law Greg Penner, who's in his group, is the chairman of Walmart. Uh, Rob Walton is the is the son of the founder of Walmart, Sam Walton, oh. and he's l- largely going to, I mean, I, I think it'd be a big shock if he didn't end up owning the team. It's funny. Uh, uh, Josh Harris is a guy I, I've met. Uh, Josh Harris is trying to buy every team, literally. He, he and David Blitzer, and I guess they have Magic Johnson as one of their investors. Yeah, you, uh, yes, he's in the investor group. How much he's actually investing, that's always uh, whether he's putting his brand and name into it or as opposed to any actual money is unclear. Uh, That's like, did you know Will Smith is a minority owner of the Sixers? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just found that out. The Williams sisters own part of the Miami Dolphins. I mean, when I say part of, I mean a minuscule amount, but you know, they're, they're in the Miami Dolphins. Well, you know, franchise valuations, it's a, it's a bigger picture to me 
more than just the Denver situation. It's franchise valuations are skyrocketing, right? Like they are, they are expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding. And even crappy teams are worth a lot, um, which is, is fascinating to me. Um, and what I noticed is these valuations keep growing regardless of the, the viability of the sport. You know, the NBA uh, lost a bunch of money when they had their dealings with, uh, with China, with uh, Daryl Morey and the tweet and the reaction and, the, you know, free speech and all, all, all those things. And yet the, you know, teams were sold for billions of dollars. Um, baseball seems to be dealing with declining ratings. Um, I, they, they never trend on Twitter. I, I know a lot of people think I have a base, anti-baseball bias because I don't watch it anymore. But regardless, it seems like every team's franchise valuation is through the roof. What am I missing here? Why aren't valuations ebbing and flowing with the times? And why is it that if it looks like a duck and lacks like a duck, why is the value not of a duck? It's an interesting question. We, you know, I just wrote a story about this in, in The Athletic. Um, I quoted a sports investment banker who pointed out during the Great Recession, that's the 2008-2009 time period, um, and I may be getting the numbers off, but there were seven or eight team sales and, and all but one set of record. Uh, and the one that didn't was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that had that was an insider deal to keep the Rooney family in, owner, in ownership. Right, right. So uh, we're we're seeing the and we're seeing this again. And with the stock market decline and inflation, there's no I, I, I called around and asked people, do you think the Broncos this will affect the Broncos and, and the unanimous consensus was no, it won't it won't affect the Broncos, uh, the sale. And it doesn't appear it will. Part of, part of the reason is scarcity value. There's only so many of these teams to go around and they have a history of appreciating even in, in bad times, as I referenced with the Great Recession period. Um, a lot of the contracts uh, are media deals and sponsorship deals and licensing uh, that, are, that are set long-term. The NFL has the long-term deals with NBC and ESPN and CBS and Fox and for over $100 billion. That's not going to be affected by inflation. Um, that that's that, that, that money's coming through. So there are there are some sports that are more grassroots, and NASCAR comes to mind that might have some uh, impact around the edges because of its more blue collar fan base and the way fans drive 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 from track to track, and that's going to be affected by high gas prices. But by and large, sports franchise valuations have largely been immune to the larger economic trends. Do you see uh, teams that are, in, in my estimation, really struggling? Um, the Arizona Coyotes, the Oakland A's, the, uh, the Tampa Bay uh, Rays. Um, those are just off the top of my head. I, I can't even include an NFL team uh, because the NFL is, is, is thriving and their television deals are all universal. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tons of revenue sharing. But what about franchises that are really, really struggling? I mean, the Coyotes might play for a couple of years in an arena with 5,000 people. Um, I mean, there are exceptions. If, if they were for I sale, said. though, if they were for sale, their owners would get a fortune. I don't know how much the Coyotes would get because they are, you know, they, they've lost so much money over the years. They were, uh, they were nearly bankrupt at one point. 
Um, you mentioned the, the, the arena deal that's going to have them play on a college campus before just 5,000. And it's, it, hockey in Arizona has been a real rough go for, for ever since that team pretty much started. So I think if the Coyotes came up for sale, th that, that would certainly test the, test the limits. But it would still sell for, you know, probably close to, you know, eight, nine hundred million dollars, uh, which is which is extraordinary. Uh, Tampa. Oakland, similar concerns. I mean, these are these are long-term venue concerns in both those markets, and they've been trying for years and years. Um, but baseball, unlike hockey, has a lot more national revenue, so and they have much more revenue sharing in baseball. So those teams would still sell for a fair amount. Remember, the the Marlins sold for over a billion dollars, and that that's a team that even though they have a new stadium, has a hor. I mean, I just a it's a terrible fan stadiums base. in an awful, awful spot too. It's stadiums. I mean, in nobody an awful from Fort Fort Lauderdale or, or Palm beach County. No one's driving on a Tuesday night in July to go see the Marlins play. You're not. Doing no, it. I mean, the South Florida market is, is clearly a, is a fall, you know, is a, you know, is, is a tough sports market. If you're the heat in the NBA finals, you're going to get a crowd, but if you're the Marlins and, and habitually in third, fourth place, you're not going to get the crowd. No, and and it's a gorgeous stadium, and it is. And I'm on record as saying it's the nicest press box in Major League Baseball. I've been to like 24 of the current stadiums, and in the press box, it's the nicest press box from any stadium. And it's um, one of the PR guys who's not there anymore told me the reason they make that press box so nice is because they don't want people to write bad things about the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> people get in in in, in good moods. Um, all right, uh, final topic. Um, and I really appreciate you doing this uh, this weekend. If you're listening to this podcast on uh, the week that it's released um, this weekend, there is a new golf tournament um, and it is not based off a Lenny Kravitz song. It's called the live uh, golf tour. Um, and there's the first thing. If you're listening to this podcast in the future, you know how all this uh, turns out. Uh, do me a favor. Send me a note. Let me know how the flying car is. Um, What do you make of all the golfers that are signing up for this? They're signing well, up. All, they're they're making money, right? Well, clearly, first of all, you know why it's called Live. No, I don't. Live is a Roman. If you look at it, its Roman numerals, fifty-four, and it's a fifty-four hole uh, golf tournament. Uh, not uh, that. That's why. That's where it comes from. Fifty-four. Oh, I like uh, the Lenny Kravitz uh, thing. Anyway, that's too bad. So fifty-four Roman numerals. If you spilled it, if you looked at it, got it. it got spells it. Live. Yeah, now, yeah. Live is funded by the Saudis, and that's the big controversy. Uh, well, there's two. Well, that's where I was going to go. That's where I was going to go. There's the, two controversies. The there's, yeah. there's the money is from the Saudis, so these golfers are taking, uh, by some reports, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Phil in Phil Mickelson's case, from the Saudis to abandon the PGA to to pr basically promote Saudi golf tournaments. Um, the second issue is whether the PGA Tour has legal right to tell golfers who are independent contractors that if they play for a rival tour and they see PGA sees live as a rival tour, whether they can punish them or ban them from the PGA. And I suspect we'll see some litigation on that front from a golfer who plays on the live tour and then wants to go back to the PGA and the PGA won't let him. And we'll see. So we'll see if legally they can do that. Uh, it's not, remember, this is not a team sport. It's not, there's no collective bargaining agreement. These are independent contractors who, 
who, who have signed agreements to become PGA Tour members, does, does that signature mean that they can't play for a rival tour? I, I suspect we'll legally have that test coming up. Do you get the sense that golfers are hesitant to join? I know a lot of golfers did, um, but are golfers hesitant because they know where the financial backing is? I mean, nobody doesn't play in the NBA because they do dealings with China. You, you know what I mean? Like it, it just like there are there are investors well, from the all NBA, over the world. Like if the NBA was fully funded by China, that, that, that could be it. Yeah, and there are NBA players who went over, have gone over and played for the Chinese Basketball League or Association. So I mean that that has there there is that comparison and there, there's no doubt the nba has struggled with its china relationship but that's not the whole story with the nba it is the whole story with the live golf tour that is where the money comes from and it's not just where the money comes from it's there's this whole concept of sport washing which is totalitarian regimes using sports to fluff you know fluffy up its its image russia's done this uh, china's done this saudi arabia is famous for it and so what these golfers are being accused of is participating in the atrocities that these countries are unfortunately known for. Um, so the NBA gets a lot of heat for its China relationship, and it's probably justifiably so, but it's not the whole story with the NBA, whereas it is the whole story with the Live Golf Tour. So uh, reportedly Tiger Woods was offered a boatload of money uh, and said no. Uh, Phil Mickelson very famously said yes. Um, do you think people will watch? Do you think there are people that are going to stay away from this thing? I, you know, look, look there's the question, should, will people stay away from the World Cup in Qatar in November? Right, uh, right. Qatar is another one that's using, in this case, the I World know, Cup. I know, but I only promised you three topics. <laughs> but it, it bleeds into it. Um, I don't think, I don't think people are not going to watch because of the Saudi Arabia connection. Um, they may, they probably won't watch this because it, it's, it's a new, it, it, they may tune in for the first one just to see what it's about, but they don't have a lot of stars. They have Phil Mickelson, they have Dustin Johnson, but that's about it. I, I think Sergio Garcia, uh, the, the, the stars have stayed on the PGA tour. Why they stayed on the PGA tour when they've been offered a boat, boat, boatload of money. It's, I think they feel, uh, they feel honor bound to support the PGA tour that's been part of their life it's part of their commitment um you know there, there's a whole there's a whole host of reasons i mean they don't want to be associated with saudi arabia uh it's it's a it's seen as a grubby money grab um so you know each golfers made their own choice and uh again i what i'm really looking forward to is the litigation when one of these live golfers tries to go back to the pga tour wouldn't the pga i mean wouldn't the PGA take just Dustin Johnson back? Wouldn't they want him back? Well, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to defeat. If they took him back, it would set the precedent that golfers can hopscotch between these two tours. The PGA tour sees the live golf tour as a, as a rival threat. The way the but NFL. Do they, do they have a, an agreement? Is there some kind of an agreement that the live tour made that they won't uh, play on the same weekend? I believe they've tried to schedule their tournaments around PGA events, but there are some 
some conflicts, but I, I think the larger the larger issue is that's just for this year. Ultimately, LibTOR wants to expand, and week to week conflicts will become inevitable. Um, PGA Tour is drawing a line in the sand, saying no one can go play for the LibTOR, and if you do, you're out of the PGA. Uh, they see it as a as a threat, the way the NFL once saw the USFL as a threat. So uh, if the Dustin Johnson next year says I made a mistake. I want to come back. That would set the precedent that it's okay to hopscotch around and and you know between the two, two I don't call them leagues between the two circuits. I mean the the whole thing is is wild. You know, it's been my assessment on the PGA uh, tour that it's naive. I, I heard one PGA tour exec once say, not on this podcast, but just in in, in some press availability, where he said that uh, you know this was years ago, but they said that, you know, they're fully prepared to live uh, with life after Tiger Woods, that, that when Tiger Woods eventually hangs it up, that they'll be just fine. And I'm like, don't be naive. You're, you're, you're not, you know, we saw just in these comeback uh, matches, you know, Tiger Woods making the cut uh, impacted their ratings exponentially. Uh, like, like, just don't be naive. And, 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 and to say that, you know, the PGA doesn't need Tiger Woods. They, they need him to be in every tournament that they could possibly have. And they're thrilled that he's he's playing no matter how hurt he is. Um, and, and, and they're doing so. So it just seems like the PGA is not on the, the, the footing that I would say to draw that quote unquote line in the sand. Like you're saying, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. And I think what you're saying is is accurate. But it just seems to me it's pretty bold. For them to say, well, if you go to play in this rival tour, we can't take you back because you know what? They need all the help they can get. They need all the golfers. Like if, if there's a if Dustin Johnson, let's not take Phil Mickelson as the as the as the thing. P Phil Mickelson said some really derogatory things about the PGA. Dustin Johnson didn't, and Dustin Johnson has fans. And if Dustin Johnson wants to play in a PGA event, I can't imagine the PGA saying, "Well, no, you ruined it." Now. I don't. I disagree. I don't think the PGA is going to make a an exception for Dustin Johnson. I I don't believe he's all that popular. Uh, he's not one of the most popular golfers. He he he's made his bed. The PGA is going to stick by. It's you know they they haven't quite said they're going to banish players who go on the live tour. What what the punishment may be if one of them tries to return is is unclear. And uh, as, as I said it several times, it will lead, most likely lead to litigation. Um, wh whether or not the PGA Tour is as popular with Tiger Woods or not, they still they, they still have an excess, they see it as an existential threat, uh, the, the Live Tour. The Live Tour has obviously said they're a supplement, they're not an existential threat. That's not how the PGA Tour sits, views it. And whether ratings are high or low with or without Tiger, they're gonna treat this as an existential threat. And that, mm. that means drawing the line, line in the sand. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Uh, how do you feel about social media and uh, how does the athletic feel about social media? Do they encourage you to tweet every darn thing? I love uh, how both Twitter and LinkedIn told me I should know you. I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> I mean, I read your stuff, but literally like, you know how they say who to follow? And it was just you. <laughs> I kept getting you. Um, and it was it was amazing. A, a buddy of mine and I have, were planning out the podcast and we were literally saying, I want to do a sports business episode. And it was like, Google heard me. 
<laughs> it's a little and, scary, isn't it? It was it was it was freaky, but uh, I'm really thrilled to have you on the uh, on the show. Um, what's your what's your thoughts on social media and the toxic cesspool that it is? Well, I I try to stick just to pure sports business. I I I try to stay away from politics. It's it's sort of hard. I mean, like covering the commanders and the congressional oh, sure. investigation. Yeah. It, it inevitably and you, you try to I, you know you try to cover it as neutrally as, as one can. Um, but I, I try to stay away from politics in my social media feeds. I, I, I don't get too personal today. Actually, I'm going to get very personal. I'm going to, my daughter's graduating high school today. Oh, so, congrats. So I'm going to be posting something about that, I'm sure, today. But th that's an exception. I, I, I tend to just keep it meat and potato sports business. That's, that's well congratulations that's uh that, that's wonderful how can people who are listening to this find you well uh, the athletic.com uh or the yeah, app the, the athletic way, right? is is clearly one way at d kaplan sports biz uh, is is another way uh, on twitter um i i post frequently on twitter uh at that account that's your drug of choice huh yeah unfortunately yeah. <laughs> well congrats to your daughter and uh have a great time like i said uh, thank you so much uh for doing this uh sharing some insight on uh these topics these topics are always coming on up all the time I, I think the intersection between sports and business is constant uh so i'd love to have you back on the show all right well thanks for having me seth that's dan kaplan uh thanks again for listening thanks again for the subscriptions to the podcast each and every wednesday we do a new episode of sports with friends sometimes we do we do athletes sometimes we do broadcasters this time we're doing sports business and our thanks to dan kaplan for doing so we will see you next week right here if you want me to stay i'll be around today to be available for you to see i'm about to Stay, I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Count on grace, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone. Because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person. Thank you.